Welcome to the Closer to the Fire podcast from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, with a focus on the persecuted church. Martyrdom is not a special calling that Jesus gives only to the apostles or to a small number of bold Christians at special moments in history. Those are the words of my guest, adding that martyr is a common term used in the Bible. In fact, it appears more than 200 times in the New Testament and is used for many people and situations. And to join us to talk about this is Dr. Eric Foley. Eric is the CEO and co-founder of The Voice of the Martyrs Korea, supporting the work of persecuted Christians in North Korea and around the world. And Dr. Foley joins us from Seoul, South Korea. Good to see you again, Eric. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Okay, we want to talk about martyrdom. But before we do that, Let's get an update. You have uh, what's called the Balloon Launch. Voice of the Martyrs Canada and many of our Voice of the Martyrs partners around the world have been involved in getting those balloons full of scriptures into North Korea. And then the last time we talked, actually, the South Korean government had passed a law that would make it illegal to send anything considered anti-North Korean material into the so-called hermit kingdom, and that's often how it's referred to. If you do this, you could get a fine of up to $35,000 and spend up to three years in jail. So give me an update, Eric. Yeah, that's um, it's an ongoing process, isn't it, Greg, with um, just over the years of the last 15 years of us doing balloon launches. There's certainly never been a time that uh, uh, people have stood up and saluted as we did the balloon launches. We always face some kind of difficulty or challenge and Last year, as we were doing balloon launches, the authorities used a variety of different kinds of laws uh, for the first time to impede balloon launches. Uh, They used uh, litter laws. They used um, anti-advertising ordinances. They used the national safety law, which typically is used to keep people safe during times of typhoons. Uh, They used um, what's called the inter-Korean exchange law that says that if you send something to North Korea for sale, it needs to be approved and, and regulated by the South Korean government. So by applying uh, all, all of these laws, um, I ended up um, facing now still three charges of um, uh, that, that ended up being related to the balloon launching under these laws. But um, nothing has moved forward with those and whether those actually uh, end up to be the subject of prosecution remains to be seen. The more immediate issue that we're facing us is at the end of March, the new law went into effect uh, the government recognizing that none of those old laws really ef- effectively related to balloon launching uh, when push comes to shove in a legal context. And so um, they passed a law called the anti-leaflet law. And ostensibly, the purpose of the law is to prevent anything from crossing the border from South to North Korea. Um, and uh, the law has various additional parts related to that, too. But the, the heart of it is, is essentially it's a law to stop balloon launching. And um, the things that are launched um, uh, are described in, in ways like political literature, things like that. It doesn't specify Bibles, but it generally says uh, if we haven't listed it specifically, it's still included. And so um, Bibles certainly uh, are understood to be a part of that ban. And so um, right now, it's um, uh, what prevents us from launching balloons is, is not that law, but rather the weather Uh, there's only a certain period of time during the year when it's possible to launch from north to south because normally the wind blows from, sorry, from north to south is the way the wind usually blows. But there's a certain time of year that the the wind reverses and goes to the north. In fact, it only happens on between 10 to 15 nights a year. 
Oh, is that so, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, did, so, I, I knew uh, the window was tight, but not that tight. Okay. Right. Some of the other launchers will launch uh, any time of year because the, the political winds are right. So they'll launch in, in February or April or December in order to, to commemorate basic uh, North Korean holidays or, uh, you know, to, to protest various developments and so forth. Uh, and so that's part of what they do. You might think of it as a kind of a political theater. So they call the, the media and it's a quite a to do. Our launches are very different. The types of balloons that we use are completely different. We use high altitude balloons. They use low altitude. We use helium. They use hydrogen. Their flyers are political. We're sending the Bible. So our point all along has been that um, uh, we certainly understand um, the need to regulate balloon launches. And in fact, that's really what's happened in the last 15 years is that uh, a number of uh, of uh, what you might call informal regulations have sprung up. And those of us who have always been cooperative with the authorities have obeyed those regulations. So I can't think of the last time we did a launch that the police or the military or the intelligence service didn't show up at. They show up, they take pictures. And so it's, you know, in, in, in almost every year, we've been required to inform the police before we launch. So we've always followed those guidelines. We've never had any problem, but you know, this year things have changed. And so now there's this new law, but uh, people ask us, so are you going to launch or not? And our response is it's springtime. In springtime, there are ways to get the Bible into North Korea that aren't available to us any other time of year. And so our focus is on getting the Bible into North Korea today. And so that's what we continue to do. I always tell people when the winds change and summer comes, we'll do the same thing then that we're doing today, which is we'll pray. We'll ask the Lord what he wants us to do. Uh, we'll look at the situation and uh, we'll honor God in, uh, in however he asks us to do it. And so um, we believe that there's a lot still to happen between now and the time that the winds change. Uh, I don't know what those things are, but I can tell you, Greg, that in, in several years in the past, uh, the authorities and others have told us, oh, this year it'll be impossible for you to launch. This year there's this law. This year there's this prohibition. This year there's this ban. Uh, and the Lord does something. So uh, count me as among those who are waiting on the Lord and waiting to see what the Lord will do. So if I were to give an answer now to say we're going to do this or that, it would mean that I don't think the Lord is going to do something. and uh, Or I'm going to make a plan based upon my own human understanding. And, and one of the things I've learned in 20 years of doing this work is that's not a very good plan. So that's why our focus remains very squarely on today. And on today, we're involved in some very exciting ways of getting the Bible into North Korea. Sometimes people say to us, well, why do you have to do balloon launching at all, you know, if it's illegal? And I point out to them that everything that we do is illegal. It's true, yes. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, getting Bibles into North Korea is against the law in every possible way. Uh, and that's how, in fact, many of our 38 martyrs at Voice of the Martyrs Korea have been martyred is in relation to the Bible work that we do. So, you know, whether it's getting the Bibles, uh, you know, crossing the border from, from China into North Korea with Bibles, that's illegal. There's nothing, there, there's no legal way. So up until now, it was legal for us to do the balloon launching. Now it's illegal. But what, what could I do to say, well, you know, uh, to my team in China, well, you guys have to risk your lives, even though it's against the law. It's only China, so you can break the law there. But here, how can I break the law here? So I, I tell uh, what I've said publicly is in many ways, I think the authorities have done us a favor because in our 15 years of balloon launching, um, there's not been a personal cost to pay really, or the personal cost has been very small. But now we get to bear the burden that our coworkers have borne since the beginning of our ministry. 
uh, that uh, they've had to obey God rather than man. And so that's why um, for us, it would be hypocritical simply to say, oh, well, you know, now that there's a law banning it, uh, we're not going to do anything. Because uh, as you know, Greg, uh, there's, there's laws that ban our kind of work in many, many countries. And certainly that's true in North Korea. So it's not as simple as simply following the laws. If we follow the laws, um, then uh, we, we wouldn't be in this work at all because it would be impossible to, to get Bibles into North Korea. There's literally no legal way to do it. So it's just a matter of, of following what the Lord gives us to do and willingly and joyfully accepting the consequences. So that's what, whatever we do, I know that's what we're committed to. And so if I have to go to jail for three years, I don't say that lightly. That's, the, you know, obviously that's quite a, quite a thing, but it's, it's relatively small compared to what um, the penalties are that, that Voice of the Martyrs Korea has paid uh, through its other team members in other countries and other forms of Bible distribution. It's, it's important to know that all of the other ways that we get Bibles in North Korea put together don't equal what we send in terms of quantity of Bibles by balloon. So when we started the, the balloon launching, uh, a, a separate organization that we have no relationship to, they had done a survey, the North Korean Human Rights Database, and they had found that in the year 2000, for all intents and purposes, no North Koreans inside North Korea had ever seen a Bible with their own eyes. Now, as of December, that uh, North Korean Human Rights Database had determined that about 8% of North Koreans had seen a Bible with their own eyes, uh, without a doubt, overwhelmingly mm. related to the Bible balloon launches. So now the situation is, it has become illegal in every way, shape, and form to get the Bible into North Korea. And so we just continue to seek the Lord's wisdom as, as to how he's going to do it. You know, we're servants of the word. We are not masters of the word or managers of the word. So wherever the Lord goes, uh, the word is not bound. And so we, we continue to be joyful and, and are willing to do whatever the Lord calls us to do. So we'll just wait on him and see, see what he has for us. Well, we certainly will be praying for you, Eric, and your team uh, going forward, as we always do, because your work is very dangerous. And I know the people that you work with, and as you mentioned, uh, some have given their lives, you know, in involvement in getting the gospel out. And, you know, you, you the quote the scripture, you know, I obey God, not man. And I know that sometimes that gets uh, misconstrued and, and people have their own opinions on that. And, you know, you really, really have to seek the Lord on these things. It's so very, very important. And uh, and I know that you will. And uh, so if you were arrested, would you consider that persecution? I, I, you know, that's, um, that's a, that's a great question that we need to ask our brother Floyd Burbell with his, uh, related to his new book, Trouble on the Way, where he talks about the various forms of persecution, various levels of persecution. What I would say is this, Greg, you know, uh, in our, in our legal defense, um, on the charges that, that are related to me for balloon launching for last year, what I can say is that, um, uh, in the conversations I've had with our attorney, I have insisted we defend the case in a certain way and not another way. And I'm not saying that the way we're doing it is right. I'm just saying it's the way that comes from prayer for us, which is, is that we have not stood on our rights. We have not said, this is my human right. This is my right of religious freedom to launch Bibles by balloon. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my human rights are being infringed upon. What we've said is, um, interestingly, in South Korea, uh, because the war between North and South Korea never officially ended, right? There was no treaty that was signed. There was an armistice. Mm -hmm. And so all North Koreans are legally, by the constitution of South Korea, they are South Korean citizens. And so what we've said is, is that um, uh, 
we believe that there's a difference between anti-North Korea propaganda and flyers and Bibles, which are guaranteed under, interestingly, under both the North and South Korean constitution, what's guaranteed is the right of people to be able to read the Bible. And so um, what we've said is, is that uh, banning Bible balloon launches impairs the ability of North Korean people to have access to the Bible. And, you know, of course, uh, people have said to me, well, that's the weaker legal argument. The stronger one is to stand on your rights. And my response is, it is better that I be wrong. So um, what's important to us isn't that we win the case or that we get the case thrown out of court. What we believe is, is that um, our case is not unique. It's going to happen more and more around the world. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that the model that we're setting is one that Christians and churches can follow in good conscience. And again, it's not to say that standing on your rights is an unbiblical thing. I'm just saying in our case that what we've determined is, is that that's not what we're doing. Our case is not based upon religious, you know, my religious freedom to do um, this work. It's really based upon um, um, that we have a responsibility to North Korean people uh, for them to have access to the Bible. And uh, this last legal way for them to be able to have access to the Bible is now being taken away. So whether we win or lose, I will go to, to jail cheerfully if I go. I mean, I, I, I go with my heart clear, believing that I've done what's necessary. And even though uh, we say we obey God rather than man, we still, as according to Romans 13, we still submitted to the authorities. And so what that means is when God asks us to do something that the authorities then say as a crime, we're responsible for, for paying the penalty for that. And so, um, that's part of our reasonable worship to the Lord. It's part of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. I guess it goes back into you count the cost. And if you're willing yeah. to, you know, pay the, you know, penalty that uh, could be imposed on you, that you're willing to do that. And again, we will be praying. We don't want you in prison. Uh, but some of our friends, some of our people that we have worked with in the Voice of the Martyrs around the world have spent time in prison. And, you know, I've always had this bit of a dilemma, Eric, because when I talk to them, you know, Peter Yasek and others yeah. that have spent time in prison, they'll say, you know, it was uh, some of the worst things I ever went through, but it yeah. was some of the most amazing things, the presence of the Lord. And I say, I want to experience that presence of the Lord, <laughs> but I would minus maybe being imprisoned and yeah, some yeah. of the situations they go through. Hey, by the way, as you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to see the interview, you can go to the show notes and click on the link and also find out more about the Voice of the Martyrs Korea and the amazing work that Eric and his team are doing not only in North Korea, but right around the world. Okay, let's talk about martyrdom. Jesus even referred to himself as a martyr in Revelation 1.5. And, uh, you know, I think biblically, when we look at uh, martyrdom, and we talked about it the last time we were together, it means far more than giving our lives. In fact, that is just yeah. a very small part of it. Uh, the Greek word really translated uh, as a witness. So maybe we're the voice yeah. of the witnesses, Eric. But, That's uh, correct. Yeah, but Jesus talked Absolutely about uh, about martyrdom and in that, uh, that witness more than things like even being preachers. That is absolutely right. You know, if, if you were just going to do it on the quantity of verses and you were to ask, uh, or even if you were to look at saying, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven, what was he focused on doing? It wasn't uh, setting people apart for the various offices of the church or ordaining them for those offices. What it was, was he, he told them that they would be his witnesses. Yeah. He, he said um, in Acts chapter 1, uh, he said, uh, as he as he as he talked about them being sent out, uh, that they would be sent out to Judea and Jerusalem, Jamaria, uh, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
Uh, he says, and you will be my witnesses. And Greg, there's a really vital theological point that I want to make right there. And that is, is that it's important to remember that the witness is not the doer. The witness is the one who sees and testifies. Mm. And so in a court, when you're a witness, it's not because you either committed the crime or you stopped the crime from being committed. It's because you saw it, right? And so when Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, and so there's an opportunity for us to get our theology right. Jesus did not say, hey, I've done my part. And so uh, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be watching you guys. I'll send you strength. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. But you guys are on, uh, you guys are on the clock now. It's, it's your turn. He never said that. He never said, my job is done. In fact, he said quite the opposite. He said, uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's where I'm going. And what you're going to see, which is going to be greater than anything you've seen so far, you are going to be the ones who see it and testify to it. And so, in fact, when you look in the book of Acts, sometimes, you know, we, we call Acts, Acts of the Apostles. But we have to remember that the titles of the books of the Bible didn't, didn't come from the writers themselves. So they're titles that we give. But unfortunately, that's the way we think of that book as it is the, it's the things that Peter did or the things that Paul did or the things that James did or the things that G, uh, Stephen did. But that is not what the book of Acts proclaims. And in fact, three times in the book of Acts, it says, and the word of God grew. And so it doesn't yeah. say that the church grew. It says that the word of God grew. And it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I did my part. Now you guys are going to go. You're going to have the Holy Spirit as if it's some kind of a power pill. You know, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then just like in a video game, you become larger than you were before. Always the word is the actor. The spirit then is what um, gives that, um, um, in, 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 induces the word with power. And what we're called in the beginning of the book of Acts is servants of the word. We're called witnesses, martyrs. And so that Getting, getting our theology right there is really key. And as Protestants especially, it's one of the areas where our understanding of martyrdom differs from those uh, in other Christian traditions, is that we don't believe that the martyr is one who does. The martyr is one who sees and refuses to deny what he has seen and heard. And so that's why, as I, as I wrote in my blog post um, a little while ago, I said, we will be martyrs, all of us, not just a select few. God called, Jesus calls all of us to be martyrs. And this is what the Bible says. And we're told more than 200 times yeah. in the New Testament that that's what we are. So we didn't take Jesus's place. It's not that the father created the world, the son came and redeemed it. And then they both said, now it's you guys. And then the Holy Spirit is what puffs us up. The Holy Spirit is always filling the word with power and the prayer of the apostles that they might preach with power because we are the assistants of the word. Paul, when he goes to Asia, the Holy Spirit says, quiet, not even, don't even say a word because he is an assistant of the word. He is not the doer. He is the one who sees and testifies and refuses to deny. And that's at the heart of being a witness. And that is what all Christians are called to be. We're called to see what God is doing, not to replace him. So sometimes people say, oh, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. But Jesus continues his work through the Holy Spirit. So we are those who see that continuing work, we testify to it, and we refuse to deny it. So when we look in Scripture, and now we understand that martyr is much more than somebody dying for their faith, and as we've said before many times, that's a very small percentage of those that will actually yeah. have that honor uh, to be martyred in that sense. How did, right. the, how did the word martyr get changed so much, Eric, to, to mean 
somebody dying for their faith. And it's not only in Christianity, it's in other religions as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and, I, and as I, I said before, too, is, you know, when I joined the Voice of the Martyrs and started to, you know, work with them, all of a sudden, my understanding of martyr changed. And in fact, a yeah. lot of people when he'd say, well, what, what do you, who do you work for? Oh, the voice of the martyrs. Whoa, you know, especially <laughs> people in the church and outside the church. It does lead to some very interesting conversations and it's given me opportunity uh, to share my faith in Jesus. But we have such a limited understanding of what a martyr is. And yeah. if you were to stand up in a church that we're all called to be martyrs, People, if it was a conference, they may want their money back or they're heading for the door. How yeah, do we I, take back the, the the true meaning of that word? Because again, when you say martyr, yeah. it means it means something totally different than, as we've said already, what the Bible actually teaches. Right. Yeah. And in fact, uh, at most of the conferences that I speak at, Greg, what I've started doing in the last few years is I as I start my presentation by asking this question, I said, "How many martyrs do we have with us here today?" And people laugh nervously, uh, as if I've said some kind of a bad joke. Uh, and they don't know what I mean when I say that. And, and that allows me then to go on and talk about uh, how that word martyr is the way that we are most commonly referred to in the New Testament. It means faithful witness. And I point out to them that in the Bible, it's not that the world is on the offensive and that first there's persecution and then some of the people are martyred. That's backwards. In the Bible, First, there's martyrdom. First, there's faithful witness. And that always brings persecution because the church is on the offensive. We're moving into the kingdom of darkness. The gates of hell can't prevail against us. So it is our faithful witness um, that we are making. And so uh, when the canon closes, when the, the Bible is set, at the, when you look at the books in the Bible, at that point, martyrdom still has that broader meaning. We don't think about it because, unfortunately, um, some of the translations of the Bible or the little notes, the study notes or chapter headers or whatever, they'll say, okay, Stephen is a martyr. Uh, but they, 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 they wash out the fact that in that Greek, witness or many of the words related to witness are actually martyr terms. So martyrdom is what we're all called to. We're called to martyr is a term that's more commonly applied to us in the New Testament than disciple, believer follower of the way, Christian, any of those kinds of things. And so the martyrs who die uh, are those who were faithful and confessed and did not deny. But it was only after the end of the biblical age, the end of the first generation of Christians, that the meaning of martyrdom became narrowed down. And sadly, Greg, what, ha what happened, this is a strange um, uh, um, progression historically, is that, of course, as then the church came to the point where Christianity was no longer a persecuted religion, then um, a, a, there, there were a group of people in the church who said, uh, hey, then the church is too lax. There's no discipline. Uh, everybody's a Christian now. You're just a Christian by birth or citizenship. Right. In fact, it's harder not to be a Christian than to be a Christian. So that was the age of the birth of monasteries, the Desert Fathers, people um, going into extreme asceticism. And, and they use the, the biblical understanding of martyr to refer to feats of strength and self-denial, which is not what the word means. The word has no biblical reference to strength or self-denial. It refers to those who confess what they have seen and heard and refuse to deny it. So it's in the post-biblical age. It's in that as we get into the second, third, fourth generation where Christians are no longer persecuted or where persecution is sporadic that martyr ends up being almost prized, you know, those people who did 
die by a bloody death, that the word martyr is only applied to them. And it's unfortunate because uh, it, it would not be until the Reformation when people like Martin Luther would, would, would broaden out the word for martyr to recognize that it meant witness. And in some of Luther's writings that are less well-known, you know, we talk about justification by faith, the 99 thesis and all these kind of things. But um, one of the things that Martin Luther did was he recovered a biblical understanding of martyrdom. And he talked about it that, that always first there is faithful witness and then um, there is the, the, the world's response to that. So he asked the question, he said, why are there not martyrs in our day? And his answer was, because the gospel is not faithfully preached. He said, when the gospel is faithfully preached, we will see martyrs again. And that's exactly what happened. And the first martyrs came, they, they came in the Netherlands, not in Germany. And so Martin Luther, as he wrote to the church in the Netherlands where they had the martyrs, he said, I am jealous. He said, I am sad. Uh, I, I, I look at this great privilege the Lord gave to you and I'm embarrassed it didn't come to us because he always associated persecution as being the response to faithful witness, as the response to martyrdom. So, Eric, how would we refer to Stephen, who is often referred to as the first martyr of the church from the book of Acts? Um, was he the first red martyr? When we go back to your scale on, yeah. the, on the martyrdom, the, the red, the green, and the white? Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, when we look at how um, he has been referred to um, at, those, at those points where there was a greater awareness of the breadth of the term martyr, we would say that Stephen was faithful unto death. Uh, and so a common way of describing those martyrs who, who died was that they're described this way. They confessed and did not deny. And here we're in biblical language, right? Mm -hmm. So um, faithful unto death, confess and not deny. These were terms that were used to refer to what then subsequently the church uh, would call in certain areas of the church, like, for example, in, in Ireland uh, and the areas influenced by those kind of thoughts, they would call those red martyrs as distinct from people whose witness was uh, that um, they denied um, themselves or they denied the world. So in this case, the denial of self and the world extends to death. And so we, would, we wouldn't want to just say they're a martyr because that would, that would then say that I may or may not be called to martyrdom. But what we want to say as Christians is all Christians are called to martyrdom according to the New Testament. And as Christians, we should always go with the biblical usage of the word not the popular usage. And so it does give us a chance, as you point out, Greg, to, to challenge people uh, and to share about our faith. So when I speak in conferences and I say, how many martyrs do we have today? And people laugh nervously. I always ask again at the end, I said, how many martyrs do we have today? And they all raise their hand. I say, right, that is the proper biblical understanding. So go now and testify to what you've seen and heard and do not deny under any circumstance. Well, I know in future meetings then, because I often bring it up about Stephen in the book of Acts, the first martyr of the church, I'm going to, the first red martyr of the church. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Greg? Then I'll have opportunity yeah. to share that. And, and the last thing I'd like to say here and, and just talk about before we go, Eric, is often we look up to the martyrs as heroes. Yeah. Um, are we doing the wrong thing then? Should we actually Absolutely. be praising yes. Jesus he is the one that has been faithful to the martyrs right unto death. Yes. And again, here we're, we're squarely in the, the realm of evangelical Protestant theology that the martyr does not point to themselves, that there's nothing about the martyr's body, the martyr's will, the martyr's strength um, that is, uh, uh, that is uh, venerated. 
And so this is where um, uh, martyr theology kind of went off the rails, so to speak, is, is that martyr theology became the theology about martyrs. And then uh, things like touching the robes or keeping the body parts uh, of uh, martyrs became key as if they conveyed some kind of special blessing. But um, in the Protestant Reformation, uh, again, it's, it's something that was recovered and we don't often think about it. It was recovered in, by Luther, it was recovered by Calvin, that they, they talked about a broader concept of martyrdom. And so what you see when Calvin writes, for example, he talks about martyrdom, he, he's talking about martyrs for the word. And so often in the artwork that you'll see, like, for example, if you look at the original Fox's Book of Martyrs, which has so many uh, woodcuts in it and things like that, what you'll see is, is that the martyr is often pointing to the Bible or even the martyr has like a, what you'd call a word balloon in the comic books, only it looks like a ribbon. And so a martyrdom in, in its art for Protestants is different because the emphasis is not on the martyr's body as the site of the martyrdom. The, the emphasis is on the martyr's testimony. The martyr has been faithful unto death. So that's why we're called voice of the martyrs is because what makes the martyr is the, the word and the word is given power by the Holy Spirit, the martyr then through his prayer is given the opportunity to speak the word boldly. He is an assistant or a servant of the word. And so what we do is we praise God for his faithfulness. This is now we're again in, in biblical terms that we praise God that the martyr was counted worthy to suffer for the name. And we give thanks to God for his faithfulness to the martyr that the martyr confessed and did not deny. When the martyr goes to heaven, Jesus doesn't say, wow, you did a great job. Thanks for not denying my name. The martyr falls down before Christ and gives Christ thanks mm. that Christ was faithful to the end because Christ promises, I will be with you to the end of the age. So all praise and honor and authority is due to the Lord Jesus. Anytime that we're praising the martyrs as superheroes is, is misplaced. Always, I think every martyr, you know, if we were uh, to talk about red martyrs, and to be able to speak to them in the great cloud of witnesses, they would say, if you focus on me, you've missed the fact that I was pointing to him. So go back and look in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Look in the artwork from the Protestant Reformation period. Almost inevitably, you'll see the difference in the artwork of the Protestants versus the Catholics. The Protestant martyr is always pointing. He's holding the Bible. He has his mouth open. He's saying something because the martyr, it's not his death. That is the focus. It is his testimony. It is his faithfulness unto death, which is comes from the Lord, strengthening him and giving him this great honor to be able to suffer for the name. So I think we've uh, got some work to do uh, in our, you know, amongst our friends when it comes to understanding that we're all martyrs, we're yes. all witnesses for Jesus. And I remember years ago when we were talking about, you know, the persecuted church, you know, it's about the persecuted church, not the voice of the martyrs. Then we understood, no, it's not about the persecuted church. It's not That's about right. the voice of martyrs. It's about Jesus. And right. he is faithful to us, you know, right up to the very end. And I think this is an incredible challenge. And it does help us understand and deepen our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus and just to give an account of what he's done in our lives as a witness, or we talk about the testimony, you know, they wouldn't give up the testimony. That's, That's right. why many of them were killed. And so, hey, you, know, Greg, you know, I, I, I tell, I tell people all the time when I speak, VOM does not stand for victims of Muslims. You know, mm -hmm. the 
says, not on violence done to Christians. And if we're not careful, and this is what I tell our, our newsletter team, our comm team, our Facebook team, is that our focus is not portraying acts of violence against Christians. The focus is always on the faithful testimony that was made during that time. And it is on the fact that that testimony endures. So that's why, Greg, you've traveled the world to capture the stories. It's why we don't do a Voice of the Martyrs Museum that you know has relics from the martyrs. What we're after is them sharing the word and what they're sharing is not the story of their own endurance. They're sharing the testimony of what they've seen and heard and they've been faithful to maintain that even unto death. You know, and that's what I always tell people too, you know, why should you get the Voice of the Martyrs Canada newsletter, which you can get at vomcanada.com, and I'd encourage you to get it. And people, well, I don't know if I really want to read about those people that are suffering for their faith in Jesus. It's just too hard to read. And I'll say, there, there is the reality that people are suffering. Absolutely. That's why we pray. But we share the stories of victory. Jesus yes, is yes. faithful even unto death. And that's the thing that we need to always remember. Eric Foley, it is always great to talk to you again. If you'd like to find out more about the Voice of the Martyrs Korea, go to the show notes on this podcast. We want to learn together. We will be praying for the persecuted church. We continue to do that. And if you go to past episodes on Closer to the Fire, you'll hear stories of those that are going through some pretty horrific situations but we are praying. In fact, when I've traveled, when you've traveled, Eric, and uh, you know, when we say, well, when I go back to Canada or the United States, what can we do? What, what do you want us to do for you, our persecuted brothers and sisters? And they say, please pray. So we'll continue to do that. We want to learn. Eric, thank you for helping us uh, to better understand what martyrdom truly is. And so appreciate you, love you, and uh, love working with you as well, brother. Thank you and God bless you. Yeah, love you back. God bless you. And just remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.